Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello guys and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast and welcome to the final episode of 2020. What a year it has been. And I'm sure that now that we are coming up to the closing stages, maybe you're listening to this at the end of 2020 or early 2021, I'm sure you're taking stock of the year, taking the opportunity to reflect and look back. And hopefully you are able to see some of the good that happened within all of the madness. So I've spoken to a lot of people who have said, yeah, 2020 was a write-off. Let's just look towards 2021. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. There was 300 and... I think it was 66 days. I think it was a leap year this year. Surely you can find some good within those days. Don't get me wrong. We were in lockdown for a good amount of time, but there was definitely something within those 366 days that I'm sure shouldn't just go down as a write-off. So I definitely take the opportunity to reflect on that and also reflect on stuff that didn't seem that great in the moment. I always look back and actually become thankful. I know it sounds very unusual to say, but become thankful for all the struggles that I go through as they usually end up being the most valuable teachers I have, right? I was listening to something the other day and they were like, well, when things are going well, you don't see a need to change. You don't need to see a need to adapt or, you know, evolve because if things are going well and you're happy, you just continue doing as you're doing. However, when we go through challenges, adversity, difficult situations, then that usually elicits some form of a change. You know, it's painful in the moment. It's not pleasant. And don't get me wrong, I'm here and I'll agree with you and I don't want to go through them as well. But at the same time, I do always come away with making some profound changes thereafter. So I think that we can look at the positives of the year because there's definitely going to be some within all of the the murkiness there 
But also within that murkiness and within that challenge, it's going to come a lot of growth and it's probably going to set you up for a very, very, going to try and use the word positive, but going to set you up for a lot more intention and a lot more impact in the 2021 and hopefully the years to come as well. So those are my closing thoughts on the end of the year. And let's get to today's topics. They're not very end of year related, but if you are starting your journey, if you're getting going again, or even if you're just midway through your journey, I'm sure you're going to take some value from these because they are some very, very frequently asked questions. And we'll get started with the first, which is more of a nutrition-based question today. And the first one is, should I be taking supplements? And that is probably, again, one of these top 10 questions that I get asked. As soon enough, I'm going to tell you all of the questions I get asked in top 10, but they, this one's definitely a frequently asked one. So I do feel pretty qualified to speak on this subject as I was a, as a bit of a supplement connoisseur back in the day. And I tried all sorts. And actually, I have a funny story on the first time I actually took a supplement and that supplement was creatine as well. Bear in mind that this was over 10 years ago. Like the supplement industry has come a long way. And I'm going to talk to you about protein glass in just a second. But the supplement industry has come a long way in 10 years. And I must have been, I don't know, I was def- I was a teenager at the time, I was a young teenager at the time, and I had a buddy at the gym, uh, shout out to Dave, who <laughs> took me under his wing, and that's a story I need to tell you guys in the future, but he, again, I don't know why he took me under his wing, I was a kid who had long hair, um, big skater shoes, wearing a Superman t-shirt and didn't know what he was doing. But he took to me and uh, we trained together and then he gave me this uh, tub of creatine, right? And the bottle, like the tub itself, sorry, was so old school. It had like, you know, an oiled up bodybuilder from the 80s, 90s, you know, all jacked and tanned. It said something like extreme strength and gains on the pot. And I remember taking it home and like keeping it a secret as it was like creatine, like creatine guys to like the untrained eye, like back 10, 12, 13 years ago, whatever it was, it was basically steroids, right? You know, fast forward to today where creatine is probably the most tested supplement out there, but I digress. So I take it home, I keep it in my socks, my underwear drawer, and bear in mind, I wasn't even taking protein powder yet. So I uh, get this this white powder, I mix it, it's super, super chalky with water and a spoon and a glass, and it was the most disgusting thing you could ever possibly drink. You know, creatine these days, you put it into a shake and you can't even taste it, it's there. I, I guarantee there's, I mean, you have flavored creatine now as well. And I was basically gagging and holding my nose, but I wanted those gains. So you can, you best believe that every single day I would hold my nose and I would drink it with water and make sure that I got my creatine in. So that's my funny story of how I got into supplements initially. And then I got, you know, slowly into protein and, and protein bars as well. You know, like today they are just as good as chocolate bars. I'm pretty sure I heard the Grenade CEO recently say that like they wanted to ride Cadbury's you know that was the mission at the start and when I was first eating proteins they would literally take about a thousand chews to even finish half a bar like honestly they were the most your jaw was just aching afterwards <laughs> then nowadays they're just silky they melt in your mouth and you know they were hard to come by as well like you would only be able to find them in Holland Barrett now you find them in, in your know, gas stations everywhere and when I first saw like a quest bar in a gas station I was like oh my god this is amazing and I actually also used to go to the Body Power Expos. And for those of you who might not know what they are, it's like a big fitness expo where, you know, fitness brands will set up and they'll basically try and 
allow you to sample their products so that they can sell more, right? I don't know if it's still going actually. Maybe uh, this year it's just got cancelled, but it's mostly filled with clothing brands these days. But back in like 2015, when I used to go to those, it was like full of um, like protein powder brands or supplement brands. So it's safe to say I've had my experience with supplements and I've also had periods of my journey where I've really not taken that many at all. Uh, right, so back to the question. That's um, just to give you a little bit of context on my experience and history with supplements, but let's get back to it. So I don't actually know the history of supplements and we can get into that another time, but essentially the reason we should uh, or we would take a supplement is to add something that we're missing, right? If you're low on magnesium, you supplement. You're low on vitamin D, you supplement, right? You fill in the gaps and it's that easy, right? However, you may have heard, and I am in this camp as well, that you always do want to obtain as many nutrients and minerals through the food that you're eating on a day-to-day -day basis, right? If you can get more magnesium into your diet by eating certain foods, then that's always going to be your best bet. However, I am going to go through a couple of reasons why this is a slightly more challenging route and you actually might want to go down the supplement route. So first things here is that food quality is nowhere near as high as it was or as good as it was back maybe 50, 60, 70 years ago, right? I think I've spoke about this before, but if you're big living in like a big city like London and you go to the supermarket to get tomatoes, right? They're relatively flavorless. <laughs> they taste quite plasticky. They're not like a deep red. They're like a pale pink. And I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking, wait, that, that's that's what tomatoes look like. And this was me before. Until you go to like Spain or like a Mediterranean country, or you even go to like, you know, a local farmer's market or something, and you pick up that tomato and like you can smell like the earthiness on your hands, right? It's a deep red, like a really, really deep red. And the taste is just so amazing. It actually has flavor. And there's a huge contrast. And like once you actually see the difference between the two, it will blow your mind. And it did for me. And it's so common as well. Same with like fruit and veg, along with seafood, like fresh fish that's literally being caught in the sea around the corner versus the one that's being packaged, sent from the coast, traveled thousands of miles in the back of a van. Like the quality is completely different. And the quality of nutrients that you're going to get compared to those two foods going to be a contrast between the two so let's say you might have gotten like x amount of vitamin k from an avocado years ago you may only get a percentage of that these days so actually obtaining the nutrients through your food can be a lot harder and another reason actually and this one is definitely something that relates to me as well is that i'm a fan of keeping my foods pretty similar on a day-to-day -day basis there's like monday to friday i don't really want to think about what i have to eat and the challenge here is that I actually miss out on a lot of nutrients because I'm not diversing my food sources enough. And this is where supplements can come in handy. And actually to obtain like all of the nutrients that you possibly could get from food, that is going to be a big challenge. I know that most people, you know, even if they have their five a day, they're sticking to the same five a day they've probably been eating for the entirety of their life. You know, if you ask anyone to... I don't know, go have sprouted greens or I'm just thinking of trying to think of some obscure or papaya or some just, you know, fruits and veg that you wouldn't usually come by, it's it's just not going to be something that you're going to commonly come across. And similarly for me, like, you know, I'm going to stick to broccoli, green beans and asparagus the majority of the time. It's going to be rare that I'm going to have 
uh, what can I think? I can't even think of vegetables off the top of my head, right? Chicory root or something along those lines, right? And this is where supplements can be really, really valuable. And another place, you know, that they can be valuable is the dose, right? If you're a vegan and you're trying to get a ton of vitamin B in your diet, you're going to have a tough time of doing that. Supplements can fill these nutritional gaps. And this is actually where they really do come in handy. However, as always, there's a flip side to this. And this is where supplements can be misused as well. So you get the typical person, I'm sleeping bad. So I decided to take melatonin, magnesium, or whatever sleep supplement they were selling in Tesco's. I'm bloated, so I'm going to take digestive enzymes. I'm going to take um, a fiber supplement. And the same goes for when you're tired as well. It's just like, oh, I'm actually really tired today. Maybe I should start taking some caffeine pills, some Pro Plus, some Red Bull, you know? And it's like, hold on a minute, you know, perhaps we should look at why you're not sleeping well, why you're bloated, and why, you know, you're actually tired all the time, as opposed to resorting straight to supplements. And it can be just a very easy, quick fix to go for. And realistically, there's a lot more that needs to be done. And actually, you know, just putting a supplement over the top of it is never going to solve the problem long term. And then we've got the other guy. And I was this guy as well who becomes reliant, right? I used to have pre-workouts every time I trained. And if I didn't have it on the rare occasion, like I ran out or something, I'd like automatically in my head assume that I was going to have a bad session. Like it didn't matter, um, you know, what the session was going to be. Like I was just like, nope, don't have pre-workout. It's not going to be a good session. Then I'd like maybe sporadically go for a coffee or something like that just to get that caffeine in. But you do become reliant. And I know there's a lot of people as well who will like rely on like having three protein shakes per day to hit their protein intake. And they're missing out on so many other nutrients that whole food protein sources could offer. So as always, there's pros and cons. But the moral of the story here is that supplements generally shouldn't be first choice. Your behavior and lifestyle improvements should be. And those are the things that are actually going to help long term. Supplements are to supplement. They are to just help if needed. Um, So there may be a time actually, and I will just go off this caveat. I like to do this. I like to make a point and then flip it around. So there might be a time, for instance, where someone is having like, you know, huge troubles with their gut, for instance, and they might need pretty speedy relief. And you might want to put supplements in. And as long as you are doing those lifestyle changes and improvements as well alongside, it might speed up the process, right? Let's say someone's having miserable sleep. Yeah, you might want to put a few sleep aids in there. As long as you are implementing a wind down routine, you are limiting the amount of screen exposure they're having at night right because if then you can provide some immediate relief because if they are getting some better sleep then they're going to be a lot more inclined to do those behavior practices and the you know the hard stuff that actually does improve the sleep in the long term as well so supplements can be absolutely fantastic they can be utilized extremely effectively as well but they aren't a replacement you know and if there is something you should be working on it should be your sleep, it should be your hydration, it should be your regular training, it should be your stress management, it should be everything outside of supplementation, and then supplements should be the cherry you add on top. So that is my thought process on supplements, and we're going to transition into the next question, which is actually very, very relevant for this time of year, which is, how do I make my New Year's resolution stick? And I think it's awesome anytime that someone starts a health and fitness journey. However, when someone does it around this time of year, it actually becomes a little bit more of a, a joke, a little bit more of a cliche, which is sad, but I can see the reality of it as well, right? Because of, we always hear about the people who 
you don't stick to their New Year's resolution, right? They fall off. But we don't actually hear about the success stories. And I'm sure there was a lot of people who are maybe three, five, ten years into their fitness journey now who actually made the commitment at the start of the year. But we only hear about the people that fall off, right? And I was actually reading an article ahead of recording this podcast today, and it suggested that less than 8%, 8% of people actually stick with their New Year's resolutions. So that's a pretty miserable stat, right? So if this is you this year and you are getting going with your health and fitness journey and you don't want to become part of that stat, part of the cliche, and you actually want to make it stick, then I want to help you with this. And I'm going to go through my top five ways of helping you make sure that you follow through on this New Year's resolution and you actually are able to keep this habit going and implement it into your life long term. So the first tip I have for you is to give yourself until March or April time, right? So many people give up like towards the end of January, towards the start of February, when they're about four to six weeks in. And the irony of this is if you are starting a health and fitness journey, it usually takes a good like six, eight, nine, 10, 12 weeks until you actually really see any progress, like physically and mentally, like some people will see it immediately, but to see significant progress, it takes a little bit of time. So people usually cut it off too soon and they don't actually give themselves the opportunity to see the progress they could have potentially made. So if you already have the intention that it doesn't matter how it goes, it doesn't matter what I see in the scales, what I see in the mirror, I am gonna give myself at least three to four months minimum you're going to have such a better time and you're going to probably actually see the results for once. And it's just going to be as a byproduct of giving yourself the sufficient time that you need. So set that intention from the get-go. If you're starting in January 1st, set yourself a date in April maybe. You say, no matter what, I'm going to follow through until this day and I guarantee you will have a much better time. The second tip I'm going to give you here is expect your motivation to wear off, right? You might be... 100% ready to fly out the gates on January 1st or January 4th, which is the first Monday of this year. You might be 100% ready. You might be thinking about it now, even during the Christmas time. But guess what? That motivation is going to wear off and it's going to wear off pretty soon, especially once reality and real life sets in. But it's so important that you expect it to wear off because if you do rely on motivation, I've spoke about this quite a lot before, you are setting yourself up for a little bit of a failure because it's not something that we can rely on. It's fleeting, it's unpredictable. Some days you'll be super motivated and other days you'll just want to be a sloth and lie about on the floor. So if you start to rely on that, then it's just gonna be incredibly inconsistent. And something that I think is really important for people to do is I'm actually gonna kind of tie this into the next point as well, is what you wanna do is whilst your motivation is super high, you wanna be so proactive about building good habits and getting a good structure and routine in place. So the idea I talk about with my clients a lot is that we want to match the drop in motivation with you building up your habits. So let's say in the early stages, your habits and structure are low, but your motivation is high. Imagine that they are kind of meeting in the middle. So as your motivation is coming down, your habits and your structure are coming into place. So once that your motivation does start to dip and you no longer can rely on it, your habits and structure are in a 
good enough place to carry you through through the course of your journey, right? You're now in that four, six week stage, but rather than having to just like, oh, get myself out of bed and go to the gym and just get yourself motivated, it's already part of your routine. You've already got those good nutritional habits in place and they are such like so much more of a solid foundation to build your newfound lifestyle off than motivation. So if you can kind of balance those two together, so whilst motivation is high, really, really, really proactively solidify those habits, solidify that structure, solidify that routine, that's gonna be so beneficial. And this actually leads me on to the next point, which is the third, which is hit the ground running and go hard in those early stages, right? Get excited by the progress because of what you can see is if you go all in and you're like, okay, I'm gonna dedicate myself to my nutrition, dedicate myself to my training, dedicate myself to my sleep, hydration, all this stuff, you are going to see progress. Progress is exciting. Everyone loves to see progress. And that progress might even help with the motivation thing as well. So if your motivation is dipping, but you've seen these drops on the scales, you've seen this improvement in the mirror, you've seen increases in your lifts, you're going to want to keep going. Everyone gets you know, incentivized and excited by progress. Well, most people do, I certainly do. So if you can hit the ground running and go all in, then you're gonna see a lot of progress in the early stages and that might carry you through into you know, a long-term change within your behavior and letting this habit stick. Number four, if you are aware that you've done this before and it just hasn't worked, place an uncomfortable amount of finances on the line. I would go and invest a lot of money in you know, gym clothes, uh, gym membership, a coaching maybe, or even just say to someone like your spouse, your partner, family member, just say, if I don't stick to this, or no, you know what, transfer them the money first, transfer them like an uncomfortable amount of money, maybe it's a hundred pounds, maybe it's 500, maybe it's a thousand, and say, I'm only, you're only allowed to transfer me this back, just make sure that they are trustworthy and they've got control of their finances, just say, you have to uh, transfer me this back if I make it to the three or four month stage. And that's, that's the condition. If, if you don't make it, then maybe it gets contributed to charity or something like that. Or maybe it gets contributed to a cause that you don't like. So you have even more incentive to make sure that you keep and retain that money. I mean, it's just about finding that way to just add a little extra layer of accountability. And there isn't anything like a financial incentive to get people going. And I'm pretty sure um, there's been, you know, when you have competitions where people win prizes in terms of money or they lose money as a power project of not following through on something, they tend to be a lot more committed. So that might be another trick or tip that you use. I don't personally use that one. I would definitely do it from the perspective of investing in like a good gym membership and stuff like that. So you want to make your investment worthwhile. And I think that could be a positive one. So if you know that you are going to be motivated by something like that, or it's going to incentivize you a little bit more, then definitely something to utilize. And the fifth and final point that I want to make is don't expect yourself to be perfect. And I do have to take people back to square one usually when they first start working with me and they're like, oh, my week wasn't perfect. You know, I couldn't train. I felt really uncomfortable doing the exercises. The nutrition was unfamiliar. I'm like, what did you expect? You know, like just because we can do these things doesn't mean we're going to be good at them. Like, yes, I can walk up mountains if I wanted to. But if I go and try and hike 100 miles up a mountain, that's probably a little bit of an exaggeration, but even 20 miles up a mountain, 
then I'm going to be sore. It's going to be tough. It's going to be painful. I'm going to pay for it the next day. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to slip. Just because I can do it doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect at it. And the same goes for your commitment to your training, your nutrition. If you've not been committing for a while or ever, don't expect yourself to be perfect. Take time and just understand that when you do have these setbacks, if you do fall down the mountain as you hike up it, learn from it and then improve the next week. And I think if you place too much pressure on yourself to be perfect and you go in with this all or nothing mentality, again, this is not the nature of this type of journey. If it's going to be long term, then you need to expect there's going to be ups and downs. You need to be able to weather those storms. So that would be my final tip. So just to summarize those all. First, give yourself a sufficient amount of time, at least until late March and April. Expect your motivation to wear off and try to make sure that your habits and your routines are in place for when that happens. Next is hit the ground running. Get incentivized and excited by the progress that you're making. Number four, place an uncomfortable amount of finances on the line. Make investments and make them pay off as well. Number five, don't expect yourself to be perfect because of it's just going to be something that's going to be disappointing if you set those the bar too high. Right, that should hopefully help you. And hopefully in four, five, six months time, you guys are telling me about all these health and fitness New Year's resolutions you set and how you are not part of the status quo and you are sticking to them. So on to our third and final question. And I'm going to spin this a little bit. It's technically not a training question, but we could look at it as a mental training question. So it is this. I'm hearing so many benefits about meditation. Should I start meditating? And this would actually be a fantastic New Year's resolution if you're stuck for one or you've potentially made a commitment to your physical well-being already. And I'll start by saying this, like this question for me is like someone asking whether they should exercise, right? For me, it doesn't really matter what form of exercise you do or who you are, everyone will benefit from some form of exercise as long as it's specific to where they are at. And the same can be said for meditation too, right? This is even more true if you're not doing anything for your mental well-being at the moment. And I know I'm going to have the people, they're already thinking this as I even probably <laughs> said the question, meditation doesn't work for me. I can't sit still. My mind is too busy for meditation. And I get it. But at the same time, I think those reasons are why you should make an effort with meditation or should make an effort with having a mindfulness practice, right? Same goes for if you're someone who falls asleep during meditation too. Like it doesn't mean it isn't for you. Like if you're just tired at the gym all the time, it's not that the gym isn't for you. It's just that potentially you need to do it at a different time of the day or you need to try a different form of it, right? And I'm not an expert in this field whatsoever, but I just don't see anyone being able to say, okay, exercise isn't for me, right? Just exercise just doesn't work for me it works for everyone i feel like the same is with meditation it's just that you've probably not found the right type yet so now that i've addressed the people who don't think it works for them now i want to address the super skeptical people and as you've probably guessed by now like i am one of these people i am a very data-driven and sciencey type of person like if anyone makes a claim i'm at least like two percent uncertain about i'm like hey give me the science like find me a study get me a good article i want evidence right that's me and i'm i'm very much in that nature so you can trust that i would have looked into this heavily and making sure that there's always going to be a belief but i also want there to be something backed with that belief so that you know you can really follow through with it and there has been countless studies on all different benefits right and i think the most notable ones here are the impact it has on sleep 
So there was a study done in the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. They looked into meditation and its effects on insomnia. And it was an eight-week study. And they looked at like the sleep latency, which is essentially like how long it actually takes you to fall asleep uh, once the lights go off. Uh, the total sleep time, um, the total wake time, which, you know, those, those periods in the night when you're not actually asleep, maybe not conscious of them, but you are awake. And just their overall sleep quality as well. And every single participant in that study, their sleep improved, right? And what happens when we improve sleep? Everything else gets better, right? And like the symptoms of depression that they were having, the symptoms of anxiety were able to be improved. It's just the byproduct of having that focused breath work within their day. So the next major benefit we have from meditation is that it can actually help us live longer. You may have heard of telomeres before. And telomeres, quite simply, are like the caps at the end of each strand of DNA that protect our chromosomes, right? The best way that this was described to me is if you think of them like the plastic tips at the end of your shoelaces, right? Without those plastic ends, the laces all get frayed. And I know that I remember as a kid trying to get, you know, your frayed laces back through the hole as an absolute nightmare. And the same goes for your DNA, you know, once those... Um, once they, those ends get damaged, right? And then once they get damaged, that's kind of how you are biologically aging, right? Not chronologically, but when, you know, you get those examples of people who are 40 years old, but they have the health of the 60-year-old. But now we know that there's an enzyme called telomerase, which helps them, you know, keep these uh, telomeres alive by adding DNA to them at the end of the chromosome. And what they did is they did a study in like Zen meditators versus just some general guys who are from the city, very similar in terms of health, you know, in terms of like not having any conditions or anything like that. And they found that the Zen meditators had significantly longer uh, telomere length than the comparison group. And it wasn't just a small difference, it was a huge difference as well. And the study suggests that it can reduce inflammation, enhance cognitive ability and function, improve your memory, you know, and then improve anxiety, depression. There's so much science on all of it. And it's almost hard to ignore at times. And as I mentioned, it's like once I hear the science behind something, then I'm going to go all in on it, especially when it promotes that many benefits. And the main overriding point here is that it's as simple as sitting down and following your breath. It doesn't require any crazy medical interventions. It doesn't require a huge investment in money or time. So the next thing I want to talk to you about now, now that I've done the science and all of that stuff, is actually my personal experience, right? My meditation is not sophisticated whatsoever. So I think that's the first thing that is worth mentioning is that I don't do anything crazy. I don't sit barefoot in the woods with candles around me and incense burning. Like I just literally do it in my bedroom or whatever room I'm in, um, wherever I am on a day-to-day -day basis. And I started with just five minutes a day. That was all I did. And the main time that I actually realized that meditation was actually making a difference in my life was when I stopped. Like I committed, I did like a consistent, like over a hundred days of meditation every single day. And only when I stopped did I realize, I was like, wait a minute, my mind is so noisy. There's so much going on. And I didn't really realize this until I did start meditating. I just heard so many benefits about it that I was just like, I need to try this. And the simplest way I can explain this and the impact it's had on me is that it's really helped me to recognize that I am not my thoughts. They are separate from myself. And when you practice mindfulness, and when I personally do it, I find that there is a space between thoughts and actions, right? So when I have a thought, 
then you know usually something comes next and we almost think of that response as automatic but what i find med meditation cultivates for me is that space right and that ability to choose the right response and you know the better decisions that you make the better quality of life you're going to have so that's where it's immensely powerful for me and why i keep it in my day-to-day -day as, as much as i do and i haven't been perfect with it but i always come back to it as well and the best way i can describe this to someone who potentially hasn't been able to quite grasp the concept is just like imagine that there's a song in your head right the same internal chatter that maybe says that you're not good enough you're nervous about something or etc etc is that same like function that keeps that annoying Nicki Minaj song in your head all day long, right? And the thing is that if you want to get that song out of your head, you can. If you want to think about something different, you can. And I think that we forget how much autonomy we have over our thoughts, but it's very, very hard to stop the chain of thinking, the pattern of thinking, the feedback loops that we're on, unless we have a specific practice that helps us navigate our thoughts a little bit more and that's what meditation has led me to do and if you can navigate your thoughts better you can navigate your actions better you can make better decisions right and that's where the benefits come in for me and that's why it's going to be a practice for the rest of my life so quite often with anything like this like the big thing is actually getting started so for me it was just a case of keeping it super simple like i started five minutes that's all i did initially five minutes and i did it like not first thing in the morning, I didn't get up any earlier, I just did it after my breakfast, before I headed out the door, I thought I would just do it then, because that seemed like a good time to do it. I eventually built up to about 20 minutes, but at that point, it actually had begun to feel a bit too long, and any time I had the thought of having to sit down 20 minutes in the morning, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I actually reverted back to doing like 10, 15 minutes, and that seems to be the perfect amount for me as well. Personally, I'm a big fan of doing it in the morning. I do think it's like a really nice way to set the intention for the day. But it's a similar story to your training, right? AM training might be more optimal. PM training might be more optimal. But the most optimal time is actually when it works for you. So make sure it's going to be a time where you're uninterrupted um, or you actually have that time and space to do it in your day as well. And then when it comes to like, you know, how much to do initially, like I feel like there's a few different options here. I went in with the like just downloading an app. Um, it serves me well. It was a super easy way to do it. Just doing five minutes a day. And that was enough for me. Like that was more than enough for me. And I do think like eventually I will explore more options. But for the time being, that was sufficient. And you've got that option or you have the immersive option, right? I know people who will go like straight to a meditation camp. They will dive in at the deep end, get a really good and clear understanding and then carry out their practice there onwards. Or you could go to a specific meditation course, probably going to be somewhere in the middle and probably where I would go if I started again, um, where you actually understand and you get taught how to meditate, right? Because we don't actually know how to meditate. We don't come out of the womb knowing how to meditate. So we've got to learn how to do it. So if you went to one of those routes, you might do like a one or two day course. You know, it might not be as immersive as going, you know, off into the mountains and get taught by a Zen practitioner, but it might be just a case of just someone showing you how to do it. And that could be really valuable. But the most important thing here is to actually get started and actually get going with something and commit to it and follow through. And because of there is plenty of different types as well, and it can be a bit of a minefield from that perspective, but I'm a big fan of just the sitting meditation. I'm a big fan of, fan of breath-focused meditation. So I would just look for ones that, you know, potentially might you might like the idea of or they seem easy to get started with. And, you know, there is ones like walking meditations, there's visualizations, but if there's one that particularly connects with you, then I would definitely opt for that one. 
And I think the final point I want to make here is that if you are going to start, commit, go all in, but have zero expectations, right? Meditation isn't like an outcome-based activity. Like if you get too fixated on becoming like enlightened, you probably won't enjoy it that much. Like focus heavily on the process of meditation, like treat each meditation. Actually, I think they said this in the app. This is not my words, but they said treat each meditation like your first, right? Just the blank slate. And you go in with no expectations, no judgments of yourself, no, oh, I meditated really well today and I did meditate that well yesterday. Just go in and like, this is a fresh day. It's a fresh meditation session. I'm just going to see how it goes. And I like to think of it as just like the brushing your teeth thing, right? It's just like you brush your teeth for maintenance of your teeth and you're meditating for maintenance for your mind. It's just a day-to-day practice. So if you're still on the fence here, I mentioned this in the last podcast as well. And it's like, look at how much time you're committing to your physical well-being. If you've got over an hour a day to commit to your physical well-being, you have five to 10 minutes to commit to your mental well-being. And I think that's so important. And if it doesn't work, right? You don't just give up on training or exercise, you just find an alternative method. So look to different forms of meditation if this one you start with doesn't quite connect with you. And the last thing I do want to say and finish off with here is another similarity actually it has of exercise is that if you miss a day, it is not the end of the world, right? Your consistency over time with a practice like this is the number one thing that matters here. So those are my thoughts on meditation. And that is today's podcast. I hope it's been a valuable one. I hope that you enjoy the final podcast of 2020. I really enjoyed recording it for you guys. And I'm excited to bring you so many more podcasts in 2021. Obviously, there will be at least 52 out by this time next year if I stick to weekly. But who knows, might even increase it more. We might have over 100 uh, by next year. And that'd be very, very exciting. So I want to take the opportunity to wish you a wonderful, wonderful new year. All the best for 2021. Make sure that you do reflect on this past year. Don't look at it as a write-off. There's definitely something to be taken away from this. Uh, But let's look on to a prosperous and exciting 2021. Take care of yourself, guys, and we'll speak very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.